On today's show, we're talking about what you do if your business's growth has become stagnant. Our guest is Jose Palomino, founder and CEO of ValueProp and the host of the Business Growth on Purpose podcast. Jose gave me great insight about how you objectively examine the health of your company and take steps to make changes. We talked about B2B marketing and what you can do to revitalize relationships with your customers. If your business's growth is stuck or you're just trying to build a business, you're going to get something out of this interview. This is Swarfcast, the podcast for professionals in precision machining. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Jose Palomino, founder and CEO of Value Prop and the host of the Business Growth on Purpose podcast. Welcome to the show, Jose. Oh, no, good, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. This is fantastic to have you. First, Jose uh, graciously had me on his podcast, and that was a fantastic episode too. And hopefully, uh, maybe I'll replay it on this podcast. So just to get started, I would like um, just a quick overview of uh, value prop and then then I'm gonna touch on on your story a little bit and then we'll we'll dig deeper. Fantastic, Noah. So thank you for that. Yeah, so uh, value prop uh, for the last uh, better part of the last 18 years, we work with owner operators of B2B companies, uh, usually in the lower to mid size of the mid market, right? So privately held. And we focus on strategy. And then once you get strategy right, how to stand up the right kind of marketing and sales processes you need to implement that strategy, all with a mind towards growth. It's like, how do you start growing? Especially when you have companies that get, they've grown to a certain plateau and then they get stuck. And it's getting the unstuck part that I really enjoy working with them. And that's where we get, I think, a lot of uh, kind of the bang for the buck, so to speak. The the term stuck and unstuck has significance for me. I have a life coach and I did have a podcast coach too. That's That's kind of wound down. But I find stuck and getting unstuck is, I mean, it's a term we use and it's, yeah, it's such an important thing. And you help people become unstuck. And you'd also say that you help people find clarity, which is a key to to becoming unstuck. Can you tell about that? Like how you help a company 
find clarity in where they're going, and then then we'll we'll, we'll flesh this out. Sure, sure, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. You reflected on like personal coaching type uh, situations. And there, I mean, that's complicated enough to get yourself unstuck, let's say, if, you know, on, on some performance issue, some aspect of your life and so on. But now, you know, just fast forward, imagine now you're running an organization with, you know, even a small organization with 25, 30 employees, and you've been going at it for 20 years. And you realize, boy, we, we just haven't been able to crack 8 million, or we haven't been able to crack, you know, five, whatever kind of, you know, that that range, you're just there, you're kind of stuck. That's the stuckness. That in some ways is more complicated in a different way because there's more moving parts that are outside your head. They're the organization. There's how people perform and so on. Uh, it could be as simple as I can't get, and I, I've heard this from owners, lament. The owner's lament is, I, why can't I get people who care as much as I do about the business? And I always tell them, you know, well, reality check, they're not the owner. Uh, when you exit, you might get a few million bucks for your business. When they exit, they get a thank you. So they're never going to be as passionate as you. So we, we want to look at, first of all, the, the processes by which you're trying to grow your business. What do you think you're doing on purpose? And that's why we, we even, you know, that's kind of our, for lack of a better term, our tagline is really business growth on purpose. Like, what are you doing intentionally? And all too often you have companies that are kind of, uh, they've parked themselves in what they've been doing for the last five, seven years. The reason you haven't grown is because you're doing the same things that you've done the last five, seven years. You're working with the same companies. And maybe those are perfectly good companies, but maybe you haven't explored other opportunities to work with them. You haven't really challenged yourself to think about other possibilities. So that's one of the first things we look at is just let's analyze, let's take a look, a deep dive look at all the, we break it down to 48 dimensions that could affect or constrain growth. And everything from, you know, certainly the most obvious ones are like uh, your website. That's an obvious one, right? If, you're, if your website sucks, it may not attract the kind of companies you want to work with and so on. But it could be working capital. It could be your own company culture. That when people answer the phone, you know, like, you know, Ajax Welding or whatever, you know, they're the, the answering the phone. Yeah, it's Charlie here. What do you need? You know, well, that's not exactly inviting. And, and as the owner, you never know that's the way people are answering the phone because you never call your office that way. Because when you call, you call directly to whoever's in your office manager and you get routed to the person you need to right away when you're on the road. That isn't the experience your customers have. You're going like really detailed in... in Absolutely. We, we start there. We, you have to have an assessment. You know, look, it comes down to this, right? So like, doctor, I can't breathe when I go up the stairs, right? So stethoscope comes out, they check your pulse, but then they might do. You know, everything from an angioplasty to, you know, a CAT scan or whatever, they have to dig in to find out what's going on. That's always the first thing. And it's going to be somewhat, it's blood work, it's whatever, to use, to kill the metaphor. But it's the idea that you got to get into it deeply. Because again, you're running, you know, it may not be the biggest company in the world, but it's a $10 million company. It's 40 people counting on this business to run to make their livelihoods. It's your entire, uh, if you're an owner of that operation, that is the center or maybe the primary holder of your personal wealth is your business. You've put it all, you know, your house is second, but your business, you're hoping that's what you're going to exit with, right? You think, you talk to buddies who sold out and, and, oh yeah, I got eight times multiple, you know, multiple EBITDA. Oh, maybe that's my fate or not. I don't know. So we really need to understand what might be the hidden constraints that keep you from growing. And they're not always obvious. 
It could be things like, you know, what I always uh, call the, like perhaps the, the greatest sentence ever developed, the greatest sentence ever developed in marketing is when they instituted and operationalized this sentence. Would you like fries with that? Would you like fries with that? Simple question. But once it became operationalized, billions and billions and billions of dollars of revenue and market valuation came out of that one simple sentence. Now, and, and, and they operationalized it. They made it standard operating procedure for every, you know, Mickey D's in the world, right? They have to ask that question. Do you want fries with that? It sounds dumb, but, I, you know, I, I've worked with companies that, that make machines, like in packaging and so on, and, and they know there's wear parts that go with that machine. And yet they say, oh, no, they, they, they pick up the wear parts and say it's a, it's a pretty commodity type part that's available on Granger or something like that. And I said, well, what if you offered it as a subscription? Because you know every six months they're going to need to replace that, whatever, whether it's a gasket or it's a, it's a piston or whatever it is in your machine. So you say, wow, I hadn't thought of that. And so you start thinking about things like that, things that can unlock revenue and value, but you have to dig into the details. Uh, you can't just come out over the top and say, oh, you obviously just need a new website. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Sure. So you you come in with a whole toolbox of stuff that you've observed over decades, and then you kind of do a triage, and then you go, all right, this is one weakness. I have this thing. This is another weakness. I have this thing. And then you kind of plug it all in. And I'm assuming sometimes you invent a new remedy for a problem. Sure, sure. So what we do, you know, when we look at the 48 dimensions. So let's uh, let's let's go back. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. Okay, so I want to give some really like specific scenarios. Say you're a precision machining company. You're pretty diversified. I don't know, maybe you're 40% medical and 20% automotive and some aerospace, et cetera. Five million, um, you're making precision parts. Okay, you're not growing or you're just feeling stuck in some way. They call you. What's the first thing that you do to evaluate it? And then we'll talk about, you know, some typical problems that they might have. I mean, you already went went over a few, but I want to like see what's your process and then what are some of the common things, problems we can solve for people? Yeah, well, it always starts first with an interview with the owner. And I and I always like to get kind of into their heads, what they think their issues are. And, you know, they've been running the business 20 years. They probably have feelings or beliefs. They could be right, they could be wrong, but they nonetheless are, are what's governing their thinking and it often sounds like I used the example before, why don't people care as much as I do? Or why can't I find a sales rep who actually works hard, you know, work, is willing to put in 60 hours the way I did when I started the business, you know, and I was working on weekends and stuff. I can't find that person. So any of those issues, I, I want to surface those top level issues. But then what we want to do is go through those usually with the leadership team. Okay. So you do you you don't just talk to the owner. You you have to you have to go to various levels in order to really understand what's going on. And I tell the owner, I need to speak to your leadership team in some context, depending on what we're digging into with you present, and in some context, just one-on-ones with them privately and confidentially. I need to know what's really going on. Even further, I want to talk to some of your customers. Uh, now, those you know, people can get skittish about that and say, well, you know, I don't want to upset the balance that I have. And I said, well, listen, if you have an at-risk customer, then let's not use that one. 
But if you have somebody who you've been working with, who's loyal to you, who you feel you have a great relationship with, and, and hopefully you have at least a few of those, then just tee it up that I just want to talk to them. And I'm not going to interrogate them. I just want to get a sense for them, especially not, not why do you do business with Acme if Acme were my client, but what is the criteria by which you choose to make purchases in this category? Like what, when you need a new precision part, don't tell me about Acme. Just tell me, how do you go about doing that? Buying has changed, as you know, no, has changed radically in the last 20 years in B2B. And the, the balance has tipped greatly from things being sold to now things are being bought 80% through the buying cycle before they even reaching out to a vendor. You know, people are much more informed. They're educated. You know, there's a lot more educational material and stuff. The old days of a sales rep saying, I'm going to show up and educate you on a, the basics. That's gone. That's the people already, the people you're selling to already know. They want to get to brass tacks. So, so the first thing is just really get to know the people, understand the, and then I, I want to break down some of the key processes. You know, I, I might ask, for example, how do you, how do you land a new, a new client? What do you do? What's, what's that look like? And then how do you expand that client once you've had some initial success with them? What does that look like? And it might go like, I don't know what you mean. And it literally, I've heard that. I don't know exactly what you mean by expand. I said, well, how do you grow that relationship? Uh, do you only do one thing for people? Do you, and they say, oh, no, we do this. We do, you know, we, we can do custom, I don't know, welding, grinding, whatever we do. In addition to making precision parts, I say, oh, really? But do, do people know that? Do your customers know that you do those other things? And usually the answer is something like hands up, like, uh, I don't know if they know. And that's the stuff that tells me, signals to me that certain communication, content, uh, outreach isn't happening. So that's really interesting. Telling people a service, reminding people a service that, that you do something interesting. And maybe you just, in your mind, you just figured, well, of course we do that. But, um, you know, maybe they don't even realize how good of a thing you're doing for them. Or did you even do it at all? Or, no, or, that's the thing. Yeah. They don't know because it, you see, so I know, let's say I have a big account. It's my key account. I, I really, I've learned about that business. I know a lot about that business and so on. Let's reverse it a little bit. That key account, I don't know, let's say it's a billion dollar company. It's not necessarily Fortune 500, but it's a pretty big company. They're a key client for me and my precision, use the example precision parts. How many vendors do they have to deal with in their day-to-day -day life just to do everything they do? Right? How many categories is that? How many subcategories is that? How many different relationships is that? Trust me, they're not studying you to figure out what else you can do for them. They figure if you have something to tell them, you'll tell them. And if you don't tell them, they'll skip to, they'll, they'll Google search or they'll call the next person on their list. And all of a sudden you find that when you call on them, when you finally do mention that you do these other things for them, you find that they actually gave you that business to some competitor, you know, five years ago, three years ago. They, and they'll say something like, really? You do that too? <laughs> and you're going like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it obvious? No, it's not obvious. Yeah. Well, I, I always, one of my favorite sayings, I think I, I stole this from my dad, is that nobody is a mind reader. And I love it. When you, when you, <laughs> maybe my, my old barber, she to some extent was, but there's like, <laughs> nobody else. And once you try reading somebody's mind or somebody tries reading your mind, everything goes to hell. So I think that's probably, yeah, that's got to be one of the, one of the things you go in and you try to instill in people. Just an awareness that, especially in a lot of old line industries, 
uh, I hear this, and and I understand where. Well, what's an old line industry? Well, like most contract manufacturing would be in that category, right? Where people have been making parts for Caterpillar for the last twenty five years. You know, it's a it's a part that goes into the brake assembly or something like that, and it's just been there forever. Yeah. Okay. We have plenty of that. Yeah. Right. So what happens is it, when you ask them, how do you get new business? They'll say, well, very proudly, they'll say, well, word of mouth, you know, just our reputation. Yeah. And I say, well, so in other words, you don't do any intentional outreach or business development. That may be part of the explanation for why you've been at this plateau for the last eight years. Right. Or even worse, you tell me, well, we used to be 15 million. And I said, well, what have you been the last five years? Well, more like 8 million. Well, then you're 8 million. You know, you can't, you can't tell me what you used to be. It's like a baseball team. I said, well, we won the World Series 30 years ago. Doesn't count. You know, it doesn't really count for today. So I guess my, my point is there's a certain amount of intentionality. And it's a bridge that takes a little bit of courage to cross, to go from we used to just wait for the phone to ring. And it would ring because we had these great long-term relationships with these major manufacturers. Except for something that's happened, and it, it will always happen in the real world, which is that person, Larry in procurement, who was like a best friend, used to be able to take him to lunch and so on. You can't do that anymore, and Larry's retired. Been replaced by a Gen Zer who doesn't know you, doesn't care, doesn't ever want to meet Doesn't you. want to talk on the phone. <laughs> doesn't want to talk on the phone, and basically is using a procurement portal to put out a three bid automatically to the three, you know, your best bet is to maybe be a registered vendor. So you get invited to bid on something in a reverse auction, uh, you know, for a part or something. And I'm thinking, okay, so you got to do something different if you expect a different result. Yeah. Now there's no magic here, right? There's no like, Hey, just hire 10 salespeople and magic happens. Of course not. Every business is different. Every industry, sub industry could be different. So to answer your original question, I need to understand that first before saying do this or that, because candidly, I I don't, you know, it could be different in every situation, but you got to at least identify what those markers are and what might actually be throttling. And I like to use that visual that is throttling your growth. Something is stopping you from growing. You went from zero to 4 million, from 4 million to 8 million, then you stopped growing. What happened? What changed? And that's what we want to dig into because until we identify that, we can't, it's like a health issue. You got to identify the root cause or else you can't fix it. So are you looking inside the company first before you even get to the advertising and promotion? It seems like it's it's two different talent sets too. I mean, how much are you doing it by yourself? Do you have a pretty big team doing that? Yeah. No, I have a, a few folks on, on my team, including a, a partner and then a few other folks that work on project management and, and things like that. Do you that. have somebody who's yeah. more specialized in dealing with inside the company versus somebody with sales and marketing? Or you you know, you know just do the whole thing? Yeah. Well, so let me, uh, let me expand on the, the do the whole thing statement, right? Because that's really the important thing. We won't do website design or SEO because we, we feel that specialty agencies that do that work very well. However, the however part, uh, it's like, this is what typically happens in small businesses. It's like buying a plot of land and all of a sudden you hire a bunch of contractors, all specialists, plumbers, electricians, et cetera, but you don't have a blueprint. So you say, okay, here's my land, build me a house. Well, what kind of house are you going to get? You're going to spend a lot of money. I mean, it won't, it won't be for lack of budget, right? You'll spend a lot of money. So inevitably, I was just talking to, to a company owner today. 
And I said, well, you probably spent a lot of money on your marketing in the last 20 years. He says, absolutely. On one agency after another, a new website redesign, you know, all these different activities. But there wasn't a real plan. So our focus is on giving you and helping owners develop a plan with their leadership team that they can live with so they can give guidance. And, you know, sometimes we get involved in helping them uh, find, you know, identify and onboard an agency to do the different pieces of work that need to be done, right? But if they're already working with somebody, we're not a competitor to them because we're not a marketing agency. So we're like, hey, but here's the thing. Most owners in most industrial categories don't know how to manage or guide or direct these specialty firms. The SEO firm routinely has like that monthly meeting and says, here's our 40-page report of analytics. Look how good we're doing. We improved this keyword performance, that one. And the owner, I've been on these meetings. No, the owner's like, okay, sounds good. I have no idea what you just said, but it sounds good. So should the owner probably have somebody employed whose job is to oversee that? Is one of that is that one of the solutions? Yes and maybe. Okay. So it really depends on scale. Because like, the problem is that the owner still has to oversee what that person's doing. You know? Yeah, sure. That's why we want to develop a really good game plan with the leadership team so we know what we're going out to solicit. Much as kind of reverse the reality that they're dealing with from procurement buying from them, they have to have the same edge as a small business. The challenge with them bringing somebody full-time in-house is this. If you're an $8 million company, you're not likely to be able to hire a $200,000 chief marketing officer. Just not the right scale. You're just not going to do that. So you end up hiring somebody who just graduated from the local college with a degree in marketing. Still not the right person. So you're not going to get the results you want. What you really need is if you have the right game plan, and this is where we come in, we help them talk to the agency, give guidance to the agency in language the agency understands. And it also helps that agency know that that owner has somebody on their side who understands the truth of how these things really should work. And then they end up actually bringing their A game because they now know, okay, I'm going to have to give like I've challenged people on those 40-page SEO reports and AdWord reports. I say, look, bottom line, we spent this amount of money. This is how many phone calls we got. This is how much business we got. We need to improve that ratio. All that other stuff is stuff. It's important at a very technical level. It's important, and we understand that. But that's not the objective. The objective is not to improve rankings per se. It's to improve rankings so that Yes. People might actually fill out the contact form and turn into business. Sure, sure. It's got to have purpose and get the result you want. Okay. I mean, there's so many places we can go with inside the company, but let's let's stick to sales and marketing right now. What's more important, sales or marketing? Or we I mean, we could say what's more important or what are people's weaknesses you find? Let's stick to contract manufacturer because that that's who we're really trying to direct this at. Sure. So I, I would say it's probably two things. This, let me divide marketing into two components, right? So there's marketing strategy, which is which I, I want to call out very distinctly from marketing communications. So marketing communications, I put in that bucket everything from website to content strategy to emails going out, all that stuff that's basically putting words on paper whether or PDFs. What about pod, pod, uh, would you consider podcasts? In yeah, podcasts could be part of that strategy as well, but that's the execution side of it. And you need to have good execution. Your website should not look like it's from 1998. You know, these are things that, and those are fairly easy fixes today because there's a lot of stuff out there that makes that more doable than ever before. 
and more cost effectively than ever before. Absolutely. But marketing strategy for a contract manufacturer is something they often just don't look at. And, and really what it comes down to is who is really our ideal target customer beyond who I happen to be serving today? Because that may not be, I mean, I had a client once that dealt with a very large OEM and they were making a, a precision part for them for many years. But when we did the value stream analysis as to where they actually made profit, you know, the real margin generation, this contract was about 50% of their top line revenue, but was the least profitable value stream that they handled. And so you're not going to make it up in volume if you're losing money. You're buying steel, you're running labor, and then you have to get paid in 120 days from this company that could buy and sell you a, a thousand times over today, you know, with jump change. I mean, so like, why are you there, bank? And that makes no sense. So we repriced that value stream and they said, we're going to lose a lot of the orders. I said, yes, but they were losing you money. So you're not, you're losing a loss. Yes. Yes. And, and what you end up keeping will be profitable. Some of the some of the some of the most successful people that I know have said we're we're definitely not afraid to fire vendors and stand up to them. Not vendors, but customers. Yeah, sure. And and you have to uh, just to defend your business. And what happened was, it, you know, when you when you did the analysis over like the ten year arc of that business. It was very profitable year one, but every year they said, we need another 5%. We need another 5%. We're pulling your whole business. Another 5%. We're pulling your whole business. At some point, you run out of 5%. I mean, mathematically, yeah. you just, you're paying them to do the work. So the first thing we look at is who should your target customer be, really, and, and go into it even a little bit more deeply. Like in some cases in contract manufacturing, especially people who had really high-level skills, like really some advanced operations they could do. They used to deal with the engineer and they say engineers would recommend us. In, in some companies, engineers had the authority to say, this is the vendor you're going to use for this part. That's gone away to a large degree. Procurement now rules. So you have to think about how do I manage those relationships? So the first thing is target. First part of strategic marketing to answer your question, I'd say is, do we understand who we really want to get more of? And and I do an exercise often with, with clients. Do we want to do we want to understand which kind of customers we want to get more of? You're saying? Yeah. So let me say it a slightly different way. I, I especially a company that may have like you know 50 clients or, or 150 clients in their client list. I said, which of these would you clone if you could? Which would you clone if you could? It's a good question. And then why? Is it just the volume? Is it because they're easy to deal with? Is it because they're fair with you on terms? Whatever the reasons are, or is it because they pay awesome? You got You have a great margin. Or they actually take advantage of all these new machines we've just leased. You know, over the last three years of when, when volumes are picking up, but we we ended up really exposing ourselves and we took on some new square footage. And these companies could take advantage of that. So first thing is your target customer. The second thing in a strategic marketing plan is okay, great. I know why you want them. Why should they want you? You have to answer the other side of that question, which is your value proposition, right? Hence the whole company, you know, value prop. I wrote the book on value prop. It's for this reason, because until and unless you can create a compelling answer to this question, why should anyone buy X from you at Y price? There's three things implied there, right? It, well, four, anyone is the target. X is, do you succinctly describe what you do from you? That's important. Like you want to show up in that category as the specialist, the best in that category for some on some dimension. 
and at Y price that you can actually get the margins you want? If you can't answer that question crisply for that target customer you most want to do business with, then at that point, you're basically saying, we're just a raw commodity. The only reasons we win is on price. Well, you have to have other reasons. And and it can't be stuff that comes out of a Hallmark card, uh, Noah, where it's like, you know, like trustworthy and, uh, you know, integrity and uh, 50 years experience. I don't know. Is that good? 50 years experience in precision machining could tell me you have a lot of old machines. <laughs> I don't know what it actually means. I mean, I suppose it means something. It means that you've been good enough that okay. you've stood the test of time. But at the same time, you're right. It's like it could just mean you're a survivor or you're old news. Thank you to everybody listening to this. It gives me a real sense of purpose knowing that people feel they get a lot of value out of the show, enough value at least to take the time to listen. Likely some serendipitous occurrence caused you to discover Swarfcast, and I know it might get tiring with me constantly talking about serendipity, but it's just on my mind a lot lately. You might have saw a promo for the show on social media or a coworker told you about it. In any case, if you know of somebody out there who would get some value out of the show, I'd like you to return the favor that you received once upon a time and spread the word. That's the only way others are going to find out about it. Back to the episode. Or it, it could be any of those things. So you have to surface what is the compelling reason. So here's where it gets hard, and it really does get hard. There are times, and I've done this, this exercise with the leadership team, and they conclude that they don't know what's special about what they do. Yeah. And, and I say, okay, well, that's not good. But good news is identifying that. Uh, it's like, you and know, that like doesn't seem that hard what, to identify once you, you know, sit down with somebody. Yeah, but you have to get really, you have to get in a moment of real transparency and honesty where people can actually say that out loud. And sometimes you have an owner, if the owner CEO is one of those, like, I own and run this thing, you know, and we're great because I said so. What you find is the leadership team, that's why I do like to speak to people on the leadership team individually is uh, be, uh, they're afraid to speak up and say, hey, we've, we've, been, we've been outpaced by our competitors or we haven't kept up with the technology or, or our people are kind of surly when they deal with customers and it's not- Oh, you're talking about the painful stuff. I was just talking about what <laughs> you were just talking about finding the positives. Um, oh, well, the positive, yeah. That's the more fun part. But yeah, yeah, obviously digging deep into the weaknesses. But you you were saying, all right, what advantages do we have? Well, and so to, to, you're right. And so, so the other side of that question then is when they tell me it's this, that, or the other thing, whatever those attributes are they think set them apart, then I say, okay, how do we validate that? Because I want to know that if I look at your competitive set, like just what I would find even through like just a web search, would I see the same words, ideas, and, you know, and illustrations as what you're telling me set you apart? Because by definition, and we call this equally credible claims. If there's two companies that to the average buyer look to be about the same size and capabilities. Brace to the bottom. If they make the same claims, then they cancel each other out because I'm assuming, you know, I'm, I'll stipulate probably they both can do and it. And that's kind of one of the things why I, I was very curious about when you're talking about contract manufacturers. I mean, it's they're using the same machines. They're getting the same tolerances. They can brag about the same stuff. Uh, we've got great people. We've been around so long. We'll get you your stuff on time. I mean, that it's a certain 
code to crack. You know, it's not it's not like a consumer product where it's you can just show, you know, how much better your detergent is by how it cleans. I mean that I mean that's sort of a similar thing in a way too, but with a car, you can at least show like, all right, it's got this feature, it's got this design. When the parts look the same, it's hard. It's hard from the outside. I suppose if somebody like came and got a tour of your shop, got testimonials, that might differentiate it. Or, or that's to, to, yeah. to some degree. And, and what, that's why you, you need to talk to customers. Look, I've talked to owners. No, this is a, one of my standard questions. When's the last time you, Mr. or Mrs. Owner, have personally had a conversation with your top five customers? And you, I mean, maybe you wouldn't be shocked, no, but the reality is it's, well, I used to when I started, but I haven't in a long time. And I'm talking about like years. They haven't, unless there's a problem. That is a really interesting thing to to think about. I think about Graf Binkert's customers, our best customers. It's it's hard to it's hard to define, I guess, because I mean, with our business, it's like you may have your best customers in the last year, and then some of these other customers you haven't talked to forever. Maybe when you have big contracts, big ongoing contracts for for years. And you have your, it's clear you're 80-20. It's easier to do that. Maybe. I mean, and again, I think once you have your definition, like who your ideal customer is, which you know, I know you do know, then the question is, even though this particular request for a machine is transactional, and that's the only reason I these people know about us or we know about them, once you start profiling them, you start saying, what else could we do for them? Yeah. What else should we be on the lookout for from an opportunity point of view? What might they want our help looking for for them, yeah. even if we don't have it available right now? You know, and again, I'm not presuming to tell you. No, no. I mean, these are all the things that I'm thinking about. And uh, if you listen to my last uh, blog podcast, a lot of it was about why you talk to people on the phone. That's when the magic happens. That's when you really connect with people. That's when you set yourself apart. And that's when you really find out stuff. You know, people people email about one thing all the time, and then you don't know until you really talk to them. So it seems like that piece of advice of going and talking to the most important people makes a lot of sense. I'm going to deviate here. Um, sure. One thing I've considered doing, and I've done it a little bit, and it makes more sense maybe in our business, but talking to people that you haven't talked to in a while, like you go through your phone and you just look at like, some names and scroll through who haven't I talked to in forever? Uh, like, you know, you find a text conversation from like two years ago. You ever, you ever try that or you ever suggest that? Absolutely. Um, give you a real world example. This is an earlier version of my business before Valley Prop was formed. I was living in New York City and um, I was I had been the chief marketing officer for a internet incubator that was actually pretty successful and uh, had some real marquee name accounts. And then the company blew up with the dot bomb, just totally like 2000 dot, it was dead. The dot bomb. I like that. The dot bomb. Right. It was booming. Uh, this long story, I've, I've said it on my blog before, but- uh, in April of 2000, I came home from our executive team meeting, and we had just taken on an institutional investor, and my options were worth $15 million. And my wife, very wisely, when I told her this, you know, I said, honey, I got to tell you something is really profound, right? She said, can we spend any of it? And she was smart. 
because it was restricted and so on. And then it all collapsed. Literally in 12 months, it went to zero. And, and did you did you get some out to spend it? No, nothing, nothing. In <laughs> fact, they owed me they owed me like a quarter million dollars at the end of the exercise. So, which I've never, you know, that's gone. It's poof. But so now, fast it says April two thousand one, and so I'm I'm restarting an older consulting practice I had, working mostly with tech companies, and uh, getting that going. And then nine eleven happens, and I'm in New York, and it feel it felt like time stopped right for everybody. And I said, I can't afford for time. So we're in a new house. We have two kids at the time. And like, what are we going to do? So to your point, I took out a yellow pad and I said, I'm writing down every name I can think of, of anyone who will take my call because I got to talk to people. I got to get out. And this is, you know, prior to Zoom and things like that, right? This We're going back quite a while. But that exercise, I think, is a brilliantly correct and right thing to do to drive some immediate, like when you need to squeeze out some business, reach out to folks, especially as you said, that you got a text from somebody two years ago. Hey, Larry, I was, I would tell him by your phone, I was going through my phone for some, you know, older messages. I know. Right. And this, this may be something you advise a company who's like, you know, really in dumps, you know, as you said, after the dot-com boom, uh, the dot-com bomb. So on the one hand, all right, go to your five biggest customers. Um, let's, let's make sure we got going what we got going and understand what's going well with them, et cetera. But this is another play. If you're feeling stuck in, if you're in desperation to do that, that's really interesting. Okay. So you go to these best customers, you go to these five best customers, then what do you say to them? Oh, a couple of things. One is certainly, but you have to mean it when you say this question, when you, when you ask this question, just I would start with a very general, like, you know, just know how are we doing? How are we doing for you? And I really want to hear the good, bad, and ugly, right? So that's the first thing. Because first of all, I can't grow you if you're pissed off about something I that my company's done poorly, but you but it never rose to the level of you're gonna pull my business yet. But it's a it's one of those grading annoyances that I may not be aware of, and you may not take the time to tell me until, and here's the thing, you choose somebody else. And the next communication to me is that you've replaced me. And now I'm done because the switching cost to go back to me after you went out into the market, because in your mind, something I failed at caused you to want to do that. There's no grace at that point for you coming back to me. I've lost you forever. And that's what happens. So first thing, how we do And people feel like you're listening to them. And you have to really listen for the answer. Like you can't just say, okay, great. Enough about you. Let me tell you about me. You know, it can't be that. Can't be, tra- can't be transactional. Like what I find with the machinery business and it's bad. And I, I, I'll even admit it to people. Like what makes me call to check up on them is because I'm calling about some other opportunity for something we're looking for or something we have to sell. And then I say... Well, how's that machine that we sold to you doing it? And I think to myself, man, wouldn't it have been a better thing had I called them another time? But I guess we're just so busy. We're so busy calling somebody to try to sell something new versus, uh, you know, going back to the people that feed you. Um, Okay, so you first ask them genuinely, how are you doing? You listen, you show them you're listening. And then what? What else do you ask them? Yeah, that that I'm it, depending in part on what that answer is because it may there may be some hooks in that answer that they give me 
or they would give you if you were asking a question that leads you down a certain path. But then I would say, you know, are there any, is there anything you're working on now that you might need some help with, whether it's, whether it's the help you, you perceive I can offer you or, you know, just something that you're challenged with right now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's great. You ask them what their pain points are that, and then they really feel like you're listening to them. That makes sense. And I, and I would be very careful, no, to point out, like, even say the words, like, you know, whether you think it's anything we do for you or not, because we're connected in the business. You know, if you're in the industry, we may know a resource. And that's the home run. If you can connect a client or a customer to another resource and you did that for them, you will solidify that relationship in a profound way. It's it's not It's not a blank check, but it definitely helps because- it's not the words of sincerity, it's sincere action. And that is hard to argue with. As a human being, you just, you're going to, you're going to think, oh, that gal's, uh, you know, cool for helping me out during that jam when I was looking for an operator, maybe, or I was looking for something that, that they could help me out with. What do you think, what do you, what do you think of, uh, say they say that you're weak in something and you know you're weak in something and you know that this really isn't your specialty and you actually recommend, a competitor, is it best to just uh, stay away from that, or maybe you take that on a case by case basis? Yeah, I think there's a little case by case to it, but but I would say it this way: if it's something you're weak at that you have no interest in strengthening, it's just the kind of stuff you get pulled into from time to Makes time. Makes sense. Then you might just say, you know, like like for example, I've done a lot of over the years of customized sales training right? For different organizations where they just need to think through their process differently. And so, so I I love the process design piece of it, but the actual like implementation or or, like, we're going to do ongoing sales coaching for your five sales reps. I'd rather point them towards like a Sandler or this people I've interviewed on my show that I think could do a better job of that Uh because they want to do that. So where I get involved in it is when I usually have a bigger relationship with a client that they just find it easier. Jose, can you help us with this? And they don't want to deal with another vendor or another supplier. They just want to, they want to keep it one-stop shop. If the relationship is significant enough, overall, I'll probably say, okay, let's figure out a way to make that happen. But I like to point out people to other things. One of the reasons right. we're not, you know, but we, it can we be dangerous do... to, you know, you have to be strategic. You don't want them to like discover sure. a total alternative. All right. So again, I interrupted you. Uh, so we got pain points and recommending things that they can do, giving them some advice. And then what else? If I think I actually have an idea for them, and if these are strategic, important clients, I should be thinking with my team, hey, what else can we do for Acme Sprockets that you don't think we're doing for them? And usually the team collectively will say, oh, well, they've never asked us for this, but we could do that and so on. So that third thing might be, I might say, Noah, you know, uh, first of all, thanks for bringing me up to speed on your situation. I'll look into that operator for you. And by the way, you know, my team, we put our heads together and we thought there might be some opportunities for us to help you with something particular. Can I tell you a little bit about it and make it one simple thing, not 15 things that you can do. Okay. They don't need to, they don't want you to recite your website to them. They've, they can, they have access to your website, but if you have a, a particularly clever idea for them, Something like, you know, hey, you know, one thing that you we've never done for you, but we're really good at is induction hardening. Do you and I know you make some parts of that probably makes sense in your engineering. Is that something we should talk to we should talk about? Because 
It's really something we do really well. We'd love to demonstrate that for you. They might say, well, what do you mean? And the moment they say, what do you mean? It's a wonderful thing because now you have a conversation going around the thing that you want to talk about. Yes. And, and it's an easy conversation. And here's the thing, the predicate or the, the prefacing of it was my team and I got together to think about how we can help you. And we came up with one good idea we want to share with you. Are you open to that? Of course you're open right. to that. Right. And if they hear that you and your team were conferring about helping me, man, they're going to feel valued. And absolutely, the next time they're trying to decide who else they should go to, they're going to think, all right, well, who's paying attention to me? You're going to be the top of their mind too. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I could see, I mean, obviously not every single call is going to make you grow a gazillion percent, but that's a really, really uh, profound thing to do. Uh, I guess you don't have that much time for, for any more questions, but we, we got a couple minutes. Uh, I'm very... And, and you're going to be, you deal with this, obviously, with your consulting and your coaching. What's the best way to give advice? Because I talk about this all the time now. The, I talk about the shoulds. It's like the worst thing you can say. You should do this because hmm. it's total judgment. All right. So you hear, they tell you their pain points. You have advice. It's not advice of, you know, I can provide this, but you're just trying to help. What do you say? I suggest you do this. Uh, if I were you, I'd do this. Uh, no, I, I'd stay away from those. Feel free to ignore this advice. That's what I always tell people now. Yeah, that's 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 that's. It depends how how direct their question for. If they've asked a question for help, what do you think I should do here? That's one thing. And then even there, I would couch it the way you suggested, which is, listen, yeah, you know, I'm not in your shoes, but it looks to me like so something like that could be. It looks to me of the options you've looked at, this is it. That's if they're directional. But let's say you're in a different situation where they've described something they're going to do, like they're going to expand 20,000 square feet in this other location. And you happen to know that's not a great location for them for any number of reasons. Uh, truck routes are going to change or there's new tax laws or something you know about. So even there, if I were to say, hey, you know, that location is going to have a, 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 that tax abatement is going to expire next year. I'm kind of telling the owner that they don't even know their own business. You know, got to be careful. Yeah, it's kind of an e it's a bit of an ego bruise, right? So I might, and I prefer to ask it uh, to frame it more as a set of questions. I might say, "Wow, that seems like a really nice space. You know, what's the tax situation there?" So that's a question that's going to lead them to, "Well, I don't know. I, I, right? I, I, why do you ask?" Well, I know in some areas the tax abatements are being, you know, they're, they're terminating after 20 years and People are finding, you know, I was just reading about that or something like that. So you're not being that specific. You're not telling them they're an idiot, but you're giving them an opportunity to act on something that's, that's clever. good for them. That's clever. So just asking questions. Uh, I'm looking to expand my sales team. Well, you know what? I'm just curious. What are you hoping to accomplish with two more sales reps than you have right now? Because you mentioned to me that you're having some difficulty with the people you have on board now. What would be different about these other people? I'm just kind of curious. And, they tell, and, and you're making them talk through or think through their process that led them to that point. And I find that that's a way to really, because, because actually when I give advice, I actually want people to own the decision. Yes, right. So, so I naturally go towards the question model, not because I'm avoiding responsibility or, or, or just because I don't want to tick somebody off. But more importantly, though, is I want them to think it through 
because they'll come up with a better answer than if I just tell them, don't do that or do this. I try to avoid that anytime I can. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Rapid fire here. What's something really interesting that you learned, uh, say, last week or recently? Or uh, if you're having trouble with that, what's something interesting that you researched? That I'm in the process of right now is just how real is all this in the near term is all this AI development nah. around for marketing, for content and stuff. And, you know, you're reading articles that say you're getting these crazy results in some cases and so on. But it seems more to me, I mean, if I were to draw a conclusion, not not because I'm a super expert, but, you know, I do have a technology background. I'm saying whatever the deficiencies in AI is today to take the place of like somebody developing content and so on those deficiencies are going to get smashed out of the system in the next three to five years. And you're going to have some real game changers that are going to happen, maybe sooner than that. Interesting. I never felt that way when, you know, I did a a challenge at at Villanova where I teach and they did an entrepreneurial challenge. And one of the questions that the team's undergrads had to compete on was arguing for autonomous vehicles. And they were quoting reports that, you know, 80% of vehicles in America will be autonomous by 2030. And I'm going, Really? In seven years, we're going to get rid of every gas fee? I just didn't, I didn't see that as possible. They didn't feel credible to me. I don't feel that way when I see things about AI. I think it's definitely happening and it's going to get, they're putting a ton of money, resources, and even the early results now are pretty, pretty scarily impressive. It is fascinating. Um, you ever hear the the Bill Gates quote? What is it? Uh, things that they say are going to take three years will take 10 years and things that they say is going to, are going to take 10 years end up taking three years. I, I've not heard that, but that's a, it was something that was, I can't remember if I got the years wrong. I thought that was so interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm into serendipity and if it's hard to come up with something real quick, I get it. But is there anything, any serendipity uh, you encountered recently in anything in your life just you know like you didn't expect it so you were had a conversation with someone and then all of a sudden it it spawned this unexpected interesting thing wow that's a really great question though i'm i'm, I'm actually a little bit stumped right now because the moment you said serendipity i should have told you that before we started that would have been a no no it's, it's all good but the, the one the one thing that will always stand out in my life in response to that question is a day a little over 35 years ago when I got on a subway car in New York City. There's one seat open. I sat down next to the person who would become my wife. Oh, I can't think of and a better example than that. That's awesome. That that And that's that's my awesome serendipity example. There's been others, but that's the one that I love it. my mind immediately went to. I love it. And um, do you have anything else you want to say to the people of the world real quick? Uh, just... I would say uh, whatever the challenges, headwinds and stuff that are happening in the world, you know, business, recession, COVID, whatever, you got to keep your head in the game. Don't expect instant results on everything you do, but also uh, there's something to be said, especially as an entrepreneur, like hard work, great relationships, integrity, those things really do matter. And they, and they do play out over the long haul. There is somebody, every now and then there's somebody you read about that got the proverbial lottery ticket. That happens. And that's not a plan. That's good fortune. That's serendipity. And it might, it probably won't last. 
unless it, 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 very likely, right? Unless, unless they really, that. unless they really run with it, right? But but I think you, um, yeah. So I, I do believe I'm still very bullish on being an entrepreneur, being in business. I I, I believe it is um, a great creative way to manifest who you are in the world in a way that makes a lot of difference for a lot of people, and and that's still exciting to me. Fantastic. I can tell that you have a tremendous amount of purpose, what you do. Um, before we close, just tell everybody uh, where they can find your business and your website or and, and your podcast. Sure. sure. Well, everything can be found very easily at valueprop.com and that's V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P, valueprop.com. And uh, for those who want to, you know, they you can find me on LinkedIn easily enough. There aren't that many Jose Palominos, but you can yeah, find me. Yeah, I was me. looking you up. There's only, <laughs> the only one I could find was a soccer player. Yep, that's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not the soccer player. Let's put it that way. And, uh, but you know, be happy to, to connect on LinkedIn and the podcast. Don't forget about the podcast. And the podcast, you can find that on it at the valueprop.com slash podcast. And you'll find all the video versions of podcasts. It's also business growth on purpose is on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the normal podcast channels for the record for the audio piece. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. No, it's been my pleasure. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Today's